And uh, that truly changed for me my experience with SoulCycle. It changed my experience. It changed. It changed my outlook on myself. Mm-hmm. But because to wake up and to walk down the street, to go into an office and be in a meeting, to be in a social setting, and to say I'm going to be unapologetically who I am, mind blown. <laughs> Welcome to the Facilitator's Guide. My name is Patrick Gallagher, your host. This is a two-part episode with my good friend, the incredible Brad Golson. In part one, we'll dig into things like what it's like to leave your 10-year career to pursue your passion, Brad's turning points of authenticity, the SoulCycle instructor experience, Brad's experience facilitating U.S. presidential transitions, and his recipe for constant calculated discomfort and growth. In part two, in the next episode, you'll hear our live experiment testing Brad's podcast idea, where Brad's going to teach us how to make an amazing fall bourbon cocktail. We'll also hear some of Brad's fundamentals for facilitating and Brad's guiding philosophy, talk to people, not rooms. So who is Brad Golson? Let me introduce you. I first met Brad at a conference only minutes before I was going to introduce him on stage. And in that moment, we both found out we live in DC and instantly connected. By profession, he's a consultant at Sensio Consulting Group. By passion, he's a SoulCycle instructor, Sweatbox DC coach, and Ironman athlete. Yes, Brad is exactly as intense as that sounds. Beyond that, he creates a number of different meaningful experiences through the other communities that he's a part of in DC, both his book and cocktail clubs. And since the moment that I met Brad, he's been a huge source of catalyzing energy, inspiration, and momentum with this podcast. And I owe much of the the vision and goals and momentum in my life to conversations first inspired by Brad. So I'm incredibly excited to introduce you. We have two parts to this episode. So make sure once you're done listening to this one, tune in to part two. Enjoy this conversation with Brad Golson. Yeah. So, I mean, the crazy part about this journey over the past 10 months is, you know, you follow your passion. And I said, and I put out on social media and I was like, this is, I'm following my passion. I quit my job and (laughs) I got all this like validation of like, good for you. But I knew in the back of my mind, it was like, great for you. I never do it. That's stupid, but great for you. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, and I went through this journey and the truth is, you know, a good way through this journey over the past 10 months, I realized like, this isn't. Uh, my what I what I saw as my passion and where I found a lot of my joy, it didn't spark all of my joy, you know, and it didn't fully fulfill my cup. Um, and so that was the impetus behind me beginning to say, well, this fills me up partly, but then I there was something about what I did in the in the professional, like in a suit every day strategy, helping people professionally solve problems that really did fill my cup too. And so that led me on this journey to explore going back into that corporate or government environment, whatever it was. Fast forward to where I am now, which is um, I accepted a a role within a consulting firm here in DC. um, And which meant that a lot of that, all of that athletic coaching had to take a part-time role. And with literally within a week, within two to three classes, 
I felt like I was teaching better classes than I had ever taught while at SoulCycle because my everything was not dependent upon that. Mm -hmm. I could relax. I could enjoy it. And I could be me. I didn't have to count the number of people in my class knowing that because I had to pay rent, I needed so many people in class. But I could show up and say, if I make 60 bucks, if I make 260 bucks, it don't matter because I'm still going to pay the rent and be fine. Yeah. I do this because uh, this, I, love to, I love to coach and I love to inspire and push people in this way. And I, I feel that when I re-entered uh, the workforce and this became just a fun thing again, that I became more authentic than I've ever been mm-hmm. in this entire process. Because, again, I take what Marvin Foster taught me and I said, I'm here to throw a party. <laughs> And I'm going to show up. We've all had a long day in class, at work, in the office, at home with the kids, whatever it is. And we're going to show up. And for 45 minutes, we're just going to let go. And we're going to have a good old time. We're going to sweat. And we're going to walk out of this room feeling amazing. And when I approach it with that, I feel that unapologetically, I am coaching as I would coach. I am dancing as I would dance. I am singing as I would sing. I am pushing people as I would push them. And what the people who show up to my class are getting, they're getting Brad. And that feels amazing. And the feedback I've gotten from since I've started working again, and this has become a part-time thing, is that they see that. Mm-hmm. And, they, and the reaction I'm getting. And so what I've learned is this, this, this lesson of some people are going to be drawn to you. Some people aren't. You know, but if you're authentic, your tribe's going to come to you yeah, and you're going to find your people. I think that to me has been such a, such a special relationship and that we've known each other for like, we've become close friends like in two months, mm-hmm. which is like, like nuts. Um, As not necessarily nuts, but wine here. yeah, perfect. Um, <laughs> I need wine on that. I can already tell you're going to try to like get deep on me in a second. I just need to like pour wine before that yeah. happens. Oh, great. Cheers <laughs> it's a great way to kick it off. Cheers to you. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, the whole podcast is all about meaningful experiences amongst, amongst many different things. Um, so what, what has been an experience that has rocked your world recently, a recent experience where you're like, damn. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, quitting your job after 10 years. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Holy crap. (laughs) Yeah. That'll do it. Uh, that'll rock your world a little bit, you know, but I, I just got to a point where I wasn't excited to go to work, but there was a side hustle I had in the fitness world that did pump me up to go to work Mm -hmm. and um, did it in the day, give me a sense of purpose of my day. And I just, I, over the past probably year or so, I've had this curiosity of um, what would be like if that was my world full time? And so that's what I, so once I got the offer from SoulCycle to go to New York and live in New York for two months to train with some of the best in the fitness industry, whether both trainers and people, and I will say like the people I worked with at SoulCycle to train 
truly, truly were some of the most transformational people in my life in the past, I would say, couple of years. Um, but um, to train with them, to move to New York, to go to a new city after being in D.C. for 13 years, I needed that more than I ever realized. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt it, but I didn't realize it and become comfortable with it until probably the last few months, right? So, I mean, quitting your job of 10 years, giving up a salary, uh, giving up benefits, giving up normalcy and the, the routine you knew every day to move to a new city, um, that was scary. But that, tra- that, that eight weeks that I spent in New York was truly transformational for me, not only because of the experience they provided me, but it's kind of like what I say in my classes is like every now and then we have to get uncomfortable. We've got mm-hmm. to get uncomfortable to shake us out of a rut or to push us to a new level that we didn't know was there. Um, but going and moving to New York and having that experience and then coming back to this environment that I've lived in for 13 years and realizing how different DC yeah. is after after that experience truly transformed my thought on why I'm in DC, what I can do in DC, what I want to do here. You, you've told me a lot about, um, so one of the stories that we, we talked about that I, I've reflected on a lot in, in one of our conversations on the stand up paddleboard in the Potomac, yeah. um, it was when you were sharing about like the training experience at, at Soul Cycle and talking about like the moment of authenticity where like every day you're, you're going up and you're teaching and you're experimenting, you're trying these different things. And you, you shared with me the story where the instructor like grabbed you by the head and was just like, Brad, be authentic. Can you, can you tell like that story, like a little bit of that story and like the impact that had on you? Yeah. I mean, that truly is like a turning point for me. And I wish this upon everyone that they have a transformational moment like this, because, you know, when you get hired by a company at like SoulCycle, you feel you have to be someone. Mm-hmm. But the irony, <laughs> so true. Yeah. I mean, like, you, but the, the irony is that they didn't hire you to be someone. <laughs> they have such, it is literally the most intense hiring process I've ever, ever been through. But SoulCycle hires you to be you. You don't have to be anyone, but who you naturally and authentically are. And so, you know, a gentleman who, a guy who's, who does the recruiting and hiring and, you know, if, if Marvin Foster ever listens to this, shout out to Marvin Foster, who's not only an amazing instructor. We'll tag him on the post when he gets released. Marvin, you're welcome. He's over in London right now opening that studio. But yeah. he, um, he stopped me in the middle of like uh, the teaching. And again, I've been teaching at this point for like eight years. And he was like, what the hell is that? He was like, I got to know you during the hiring process and I interviewed you and I watched you teach and I got to see you personally on like just like a very social level through, you know, you coming on board and all of this stuff. And then I see the lights go down, the spotlight comes on you and you get a microphone and like you become this different person. He's like, that's not who I hired. I hired that other guy. You're from the South. You grew up in Louisiana. You were in a fraternity, you moved to DC, you've had a government job, you just quit it. Do you drink? I said, yeah. He was like, what do you drink? I said, I, I do like whiskey. He was like, <laughs> I also know that you're one who likes to bring people together and, and like throw parties. He was like, I want this to be the party you throw. He said, you pretend you're a few whiskeys in and you're throwing a party for all your friends. 
And that's what I want your class to be because that's who you are. And it was this moment of clarity. I was like, you're right. You were so right. Truly transformational for me of saying, I just envisioned what they wanted me to be. And it was the first time probably in a long time, if ever, that someone was like, no, I just want you to be you because that's who we hired. And that's who we feel is going to be successful for our company. And who's going to succeed generally for yourself too. And I was like, wow, like that's, it it sinks in the moment. It made sense, but now it's even more mm-hmm. like profound. And Marvin doesn't even know he gave that moment and that gift to me, but he did. And uh, that truly changed for me my experience with SoulCycle. It changed my experience. It changed, it changed my outlook on myself. Mm-hmm. But because to wake up and to walk down the street, to go into an office and be in a meeting, to be in a social setting and to say, I'm going to be unapologetically who I am. Mind blown. (laughs) It gives you a sense of confidence that I just, I frankly never experienced because as someone who grew up in a very Southern conservative um, Christian environment and, and to now live in a world where I've come out as a gay man and I still very much relate to traditionally what's the straight world, but there's just like this such insecurity that comes over me so many times, but to feel for the first time unapologetic for who I am, put me in any social setting, any professional setting and say, be confident in who you are, no matter what it is was just a whole different uh, outlook for me. I mean, this, you know, being the second time I've heard the story, like still equally as impactful and like reflecting on when you put this pressure on yourself to be something that you think other people expect you to be, the impact that that has then on your ability to to create like a, a meaningful experience for people because now you're thinking three different levels of of thought like that person thinks i need to be this so then i think i need to be this and then like everybody's like so wrapped up in their heads that then the moment is is lost earlier earlier you know while we were eating dinner you were you were sharing a story about how you know recently being that both of us have been sort of in like identity crisis and like what our futures hold, like professionally and what we're doing. And you, you shared about relearning that lesson of authenticity and the impact that that's had on the joy that you get in, in the different things that you do outside of your consulting work. Um, can you share a bit about the story of relearning authenticity and what that was like? I think when, um, so it's like when you declare like, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Like, that is a really powerful force because that attracts like the tribe that you, that you want to bring. And also like the people that maybe like, that's not their jam will, will opt out. Um, so what's been, what's been like the message that you share for your soul cycle tribe? The consistent message is get uncomfortable, whether it's in that room. And a lot of times I challenge the room to get uncomfortable, whether, you know, when you're riding a bike in a cycle class and, for those who've taken some classes, it's, it's that resistance. It's just turning it up and feeling like, I don't know if I can sustain this. 
but even in the words I speak, how many times in life of like, I don't know if I can sustain this schedule. I don't know if I can sustain this anxiety. I don't know if I can sustain this portfolio at work. Mm -hmm. You know, how many times do we think that? And what I try to convey in class, because I feel it, you know, like I'm in a new job right now. I'm in week three and a half on a job where I am in a role where I'm overseeing more people, more money, more projects than I've ever done. And I feel uncomfortable sometimes, but I have to like practice what I preach, which is, you know what, what feels uncomfortable now will soon become comfortable. And my new norm is set. Mm -hmm. And that new norm is at a higher level than I was before. So that is the mantra that I speak. Don't be afraid to get uncomfortable and be patient with yourself to get through that uncomfortable time. Because on the other side, Mm -hmm. there's this looking back moment where you're like, holy crap, I'm a lot stronger, a lot more resilient than I thought possible. So whether that's on a bike with resistance or whether that's in life, uh, because we're all throwing curveballs, you know, um, you and I have talked before. It's like my story of, you know, whether it's the loss of a parent, whether it's taking on responsibility within your family, it's we're throwing curveballs in life. And as much as you want to try to avoid it, you can't. Mm-hmm. And when we accept the fact and we accept that being uncomfortable is okay. And that I don't always have to feel like I'm in a comfortable spot, but being uncomfortable for a little bit and having that perspective of I'm uncomfortable right now, but I'm going to come out on the other side, stronger, better, learning more about myself or what I can handle. And I have a new bar of a baseline. For me, that is, that's honestly what's gotten me through a lot of stuff. I've been thinking about the, the quote from earlier of that. If you came in here expecting soul bombs. That's not what you're going to get. Instead, I'm going to work you like you're training for an Ironman and you're going to discover the things for yourself that are going to, to take you through it. Um, how'd you, like what inspired sharing that with your group? It goes back to unapologetically being who you are. You know, Soul Cycle is a place where, oh, I'll, I'll step back and say working out for me personally is just as much mental as it is physical. Mm-hmm. If I'm hitting a roadblock at work or if I'm feeling frustrated or I feel like I'm in a rut, a good solid run by myself or a workout is it typically will help me kind of like loosen the loosen the chains and and get back in my group. Um, And so, uh, you know, I think this was part of the process of me coming back to D.C. And being unapologetically who I am. Mm -hmm. There's this uh, other instructor share a former professional basketball cheerleader, Mm -hmm. not only physically beautiful, but just uh, one of those people who is, again, unapologetically who she is. And because of that, I I, um, wrote her and I sent her a note and I said, hey, let's, I would love to just sit down and chat. And she's part of that conversation was what got you to where you are? Because she's one of those that a class pops up and she sells it out. She's like, she has a following like none other. and. She talked about, again, being unapologetically who you are. And we kind of went through what that meant for me. And it was accepting in this space that, that in Soul Cycle, there's this like feeling of you've got to be truly inspirational and you've got to say these things that are just like 
profound and people like have these aha moments in your class. And I think that's the general brand sometimes. And I felt as if I had to fit that. Mm -hmm. But the interesting and ironic part again was they just want you to be who you are. And Cher said, stop trying to be that. It's not who you are. (laughs) She's like, if that's not you, that's not who you are. She was like, you're, you're like everyone's friend that is really athletic. Be that. And so I accepted that. And so I started to say very explicitly in my class, I'm not going to throw out some profound quote this class. But through the workout that I've designed for you, I'm going to push you to a new level that you're going to realize things that were inside of you already that you didn't realize. And that's how I'm going to make you cry, <laughs> you know? So, and, and that's, and to me, that's what I have to offer because that's been my personal journey. It makes so much sense because b- before we started, you know, we hit the record button, we were talking about like a truly powerful way to position in like your personal brand or like, you know, whatever, like, you know, that's kind of like the, you know, the industry terms for it, but like the truly powerful way to communicate who you are to people is by positioning themselves as the hero. And so what, what I find, and it makes so much sense why like the book that you're sharing with me resonates with you because when you're talking about that aha moment is like in that moment, you were saying like, I'm not the person who's going to inspire you. You're going to find that within yourself and I'm going to help create that environment for you. And I think like that is such a, that is such a powerful message because it's not, you know, I'm in front of the room who's the arbiter of your, your inspiration, but it's, you know, you have it within you at all times. And we're going to, we're going to manifest that right now and do something awesome. And it's like, that's like, I I bet all people cry. Well, again, I go back to what we talked about earlier, which is that what I think we all want is this feeling of confidence in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a spin class or whether it's like a friend or whether it's a, you know, a book club, if we can help people, if I can help, if any one of us can help people, realize what is truly within them and the strength and the confidence that truly is within them. Mm -hmm. You're giving them a gift that they wake up tomorrow with a different perspective. Yeah. Because you know what? They realize and they have this aha moment that damn it, I can and I will. And that's, if you can give that gift to someone that is like, to me, that is something that is just so invaluable. Like that's something that you cannot take away. Well, excuse me. I think people can take away the ability to have a conversation with someone and give them a gift of confidence. They wake up with a new drive that, yes, I can overcome. Mm-hmm. You've given them a gift that could fundamentally change the direction of their day, change the direction, change behavior that would have otherwise gone negative to something of empowerment and positive. And so for me, no matter, and and that's just kind of the mantra in my own life or with others that if we can, if if I can become someone as an arbiter of that type of thing, it's not going to be my mission every day. It's going to be organically. If I see those opportunities in myself or in others, I'm going to take advantage of that. We'll be right back after taking a quick break.
Heck yeah. So one of the, when I was thinking about our, our time together, like I was like pulling out the complexities and the layers of Brad Golson and the whole holistic experience that you've had going Lord. from government to fitness, to building out like the, the private consulting that you're doing and also like the personal consulting practice that you're, you're building out as well. Like to tease out everything, like that's a, that's a, that's a tall order. So I want to take a hard turn for a fun question because I understand that part of how you generate experiences, I know we just talked a lot about soul cycle, but you know, one last quick, quick soul cycle question um, is like, if you, if you had to pick a song to capture our conversation together, what would the song or the genre, like if you're like, oh man, too many favorite songs, yeah, I can't figure it I'm out. Songs like, I mean, I'm a Spanish instructor, like songs are my life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm probably like 36 to 48 songs go through my, my playlist a week. So. That's incredible recollection to be able to, to generate that. No, this Rolodex. So to describe this conversation. Oh Lord. So the fun part for anybody who listens like on the anchor app, like Spotify has got a partnership. So I'll be able to link the song in. So like the people tuning in will be like, mm-hmm. boom. So I should like in the strategically link this to like Taylor Swift's new album or something. <laughs> oh, wow. So many good, like, where do I go with this? So just on Tuesday, I did a Hamilton versus Dear Aaron Hansen ride. Whoa. Yeah, that was fun. I like to talk about a sing-along. Um, I could barely hold my breath during, like, or keep my breath in a spin class. I don't know if I'd be able to sing. Yeah, talk about some endurance. Some cardio work. <laughs> um, you will be found probably describes the conversation we, the, the conversation we just had. Um, of like, there's always someone there and there's, uh, you're not alone. We're all kind of going through this, like we're trying to live our lives and become better people. Mm-hmm. So like on a very like deep, non soulful, but soulful moment, I would say that. Um, and then I would say, Oh God. We, we talked a lot about like your, your experience specifically with soul cycle. And I, I wanted to spend some time digging into your background because I think you're, the arc of like how you've chosen to spend your professional time is so unique and and fascinating, but there is such strange crossover in all of the things that you've done. And there's such a consistent thread for the things that you apply in all those different experiences. So the question is, as part of your government experience, 10 years in government, you had one of the unique opportunities to experience and facilitate the transition, like the presidential transition um, and, and oversee all of that. And I think for people listening in, like, that facilitating that type of process is like one of the it's like such a unique experience to be able to to oversee that can you share about like what that experience was like in the government what you took away from it and any lessons that you want to pass along to, to other people yeah so i mean truly again um one of those experiences that i will be telling stories for for years right and just to put in context, this was a time where a nonprofit non affiliated with a political party outside of the government said there's a big opportunity here because there is we have probably the largest transfer of power in the world happening and no one actually is there responsible for facilitating the transfer of knowledge Mm -hmm. there's the agency i was at at the time was responsible for transitioning the president's logistically but never knowledge yeah and um this again, organization outside of the government had done all this research and talked to people in previous administrations that said, yeah, I walked in with nothing. That's just not 
<laughs> how our country should be working. So they started seeing this thing. It's up. like leadership so, fundamentals is like the transfer, the transfers between different leaderships is like one of the most like high impact moments. And if that's not affected like that, that's bad news. And we, and this, and this group, the partnership for public service had actually done the study that said in that time of transition, that is actually one of the most vulnerable times. And in, in then in the security of the country, Wow. Because you have, you don't have key positions filled. You don't have key decision makers in place. And so the experience or, or the actually having people in positions such that not only do they know the things they need to know, but they are empowered to make key decisions should something happen is so vital to the United States security. Yeah, it's like an, it's an immediate need. So I think for for the Obama, so from the Bush to the Obama administration, to my understanding, was one of the only times where key officials from both administrations sat together because at that transfer of power at 1231 p.m. on January 21st, the transfer happens that you no longer have decision-making power, but you do. And if the right people are not in place we could have an issue. And so that was the first time that like that two, that folks from two different administrations sat together. Mm -hmm. Should something happen, they were in a position such that one could advise and one could make a decision, whichever side of the fence that fell on. So I was invited to be a part of this team that stood up this center for presidential transition that worked with the two that worked with all the presidential candidates teams to say, Someone in this room is getting elected um, and you need to be ready mm -hmm. uh, and truly transformational because uh, for a few reasons. One, I learned that although this is the transition of power for the president of the United States and his or her staff, it's not rocket science. There are fundamental concepts that apply no matter what type of organization, what size, what complexity there are core elements to that basic transfer of knowledge basic change management people management and selection that need to occur mm -hmm. <laughs> and i i am over oversimplifying this i know but at its core there was nothing that i was engaged with and talked with um, through talk through, excuse me, with the Trump and the Clinton transition teams, that was something that I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a rocket scientist, right? Yeah. So, like, this is all fundamental. Who's the right person of the job? What policies do you believe in? What levers do you need to put in place such that you can accomplish your agenda and get done what you want to get done? Fundamental. And so I think when we typically think about the presidential transition, it's like this, like very ambiguous, like a uh, um, thing that I can't even imagine. It's when you get the secret book of all the UFOs. Yeah, which there <laughs> probably is, you know, and that, again, something I don't know. I, I wouldn't know how to handle. But However, it falls under knowledge transfer and change management. Like, as in like Right. Yeah. That just make sure the next person gets the book and knows the index of the chapters. Like <laughs> you highlight, give them the cliff notes and go on. Right. So like, that's what that, that experience taught me was that sometimes 
even the scale of things scare us. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. But let's look at the core of it. There's fundamental principles, again, that we all embody mm-hmm. the knowledge of how to execute. And we can't be afraid no matter scale because you know, I know. And what differentiates people who make it at that level and sometimes a different level is that they have the confidence to execute at a bigger scale than they thought. But they let they pull the levers and they harness those fundamental skills they know they have of how to facilitate transfer of knowledge, how to facilitate idea generation, how to facilitate the creation of a plan from concept to execution. The differentiating factor for people who exist on those teams, for people like the president of the United States, is their ability and their confidence to leverage those fundamental principles mm-hmm. and execute at that level. That's, I think it's so wild. I was, um, oh gosh, I, I can't remember the name of the particular bias, but it was talking about like how like the human brain, like if we hear something and we've learned it, we internalize it. I think it's, it's like recency bias or like some type of new bias. I'll, I'll correct this later, but, um, is the idea that if like we have an idea in our head, that's like a fundamental principle that we apply to our lives, we sort of take it for granted. That's like, Oh, like this is just like a thing that I do. But when you share it with somebody for the first time and they, maybe it's like not a part of their operating system or their practices, that it could be like one of those things that is like fundamental to their success. And they're like, that blows my mind. But like we oftentimes take for granted teaching the fundamental things because we're like, oh, that's not new. That's like what people teach all the time. And I think that's such a powerful piece is that like for even these like big monumental moments that it's like what people perceive as like the global power transitioning, like one of the most powerful institutions in the world but really it's about the fundamentals and it's smooth being able to facilitate those things smoothly. And I think for anybody listening in, in, in terms of like doing training or development type programs to be able to lean on, like probably what you're teaching isn't rocket science. Like there are probably like some fundamental concepts or like if you're creating your own content, like there are certain fundamental things that you should lean on and the fundamentals make a huge difference, even at the largest institutions. My philosophy, whether it's in managing people, teaching a class, facilitating or consulting on facilitation of a presidential transition. At the end of the day, it's about people. And if you're facilitating, if you're speaking, if you're coaching, you coach, you speak, you facilitate people. And if you get people and you talk to a person and you talk to people That is what makes them connect with you. Mm. That is what makes them engage deeper and want to know more. Um, When I use the pronouns of, uh, you know, in class, sink your hips back, you know, or roll your shoulders down. It becomes personal. When I say in a speech or a facilitation, when you're in that meeting, it makes it personal. When I say in a presidential transition meeting, when you're making these decisions of who's going to be the secretary of X department of the United States of America, it makes it personal to them. And I think when we begin to think about, when I begin to think about 
what I'm saying and what I'm I'm speaking because I want to impact behavior change and I want to impact decision making. I am more effective when I speak to people and not rooms, concepts, thoughts, abstract ideas. Mm. I am more effective when I talk to you. And I use the pronouns and I use the words that speak to an individual, regardless if I am talking to one person or if I am talking to a thousand people. And when I began to embody that, I began to believe it more. I began to be more engaged and more present in what I was doing. And I felt like I was making more of an impact because situational if I'm jamming on a bike to like <laughs> the most recent Taylor Swift remix, it's easy to get lost in the room and lost in the music. But in that moment, if I look at someone in their eyes and I speak to them about what I want you to do right now, that's so much more impactful. And I'm going to see a greater behavior change in that room. I'm going to see more people reach down and turn up their resistance and push themselves a little bit harder because I talk to you as a person. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I want everyone to reach down and turn it up. And so when I began to make that shift, that was truly transformational in my ability to lead, facilitate, manage, speak to other people and to be effective. You ignited something in my, in my brain um, to pull in a metaphor to reinforce this, this concept. For you that's listening, um, I've been putting together a training course or I'm public speaking for for a good friend of mine to teach him how to, to interview different people. And one of the things was about the, the use of eye contact and how it brings people into the conversation because you feel a part of it using like the pronoun you is like verbal eye contact. Mm-hmm. And I think like that is like, that is such a powerful way to create that sense of intimacy and connection in the experience that you're creating. A hundred percent. To be frank in the, in the context of this, what we're doing, this podcast, I felt myself during this experience to be looking away and like talking to the ambiguous audience Mm -hmm. and i keep having to remind myself look at patrick because this is a conversation that we're having Mm -hmm. but whether it's in my work environment when i'm meeting one-on-one with a team member of mine whether it's whether i'm speaking to my client or my clients and i'm pitching an idea whether i'm in a room cycling when i make eye contact with someone and I say something, eight times out of 10, they do it. Mm-hmm. Because there's like this one-on-one, no matter if there's 54 people in my cycle room, if I connect with someone and I say, hey, y'all, let's see if we can take it to the next level and just turn it up a little bit and see if we can sustain that resistance. Eight, nine times out of 10, the person that I make eye contact is going to do it because they feel like I'm talking to them entirely. And they show up at a class and people show up at your meetings and people show up at your speeches because they want some direction. They want someone to empower them. They want some whisperer to make them the hero of their own story. And so that's what I think for me being uh, someone who is a facilitator, someone who is a manager, that's what it's all about. My next question is going to be about a time when you have like a moment when you've facilitated or a class that you've taught that's flopped because I want to share with you like some of the frustrations around like the, the audio format of podcasting 
because th- there are moments where like I'm recording something, like trying to do an introduction for somebody who's come on the podcast and I'll do the same clip 12 times. And I realized I was like staring at a wall and like speaking to a wall or speaking to the ethereal they or yeah. like the everyone is like, I guess to speak to all is like to speak to a wall. And so the, the, what I started to do um, is I started to either look in the mirror at myself, which felt really vain, or to pull, <laughs> to pull up. We have uh, the table book of George W. Bush's um, watercolor paintings of all of the different veterans that he has. And, and I started to stand it up because it's like I'm making eye contact with a human being and a person um, to – and then like, it, it's almost instantaneous. Like the, the things that I start to record, the introductions that I start to do, it's like, I'm actually talking to a human being. It's like so different. And so I was laughing because it was like, I had failed miserably, like for, for multiple hours trying to record like a 10 second clip. Um, and so like what you're saying was like, reminding me of that. And I was, I was getting a kick out of it. Yeah. So the next question is love if you could share a story or a time when you are facilitating a group or or teaching one of your classes where it flopped or failed or didn't go as planned and what happened and did you get it back on track did you not yeah what happened so when you teach four six eight twelve times a week inevitably like there's a class that doesn't knock it out of the park Mm -hmm. and you walk away and you know it my thing is like i just gotta own it whether that is in the moment, I admit, like, well, that didn't go as planned. Uh, again, to authenticity. People appreciate authenticity. People can feel when you are genuine and when you are, like, feeling it and when you're not. Um, Do you have a recent class that you where you felt that with this past week? So I had the Dear Evan Hansen Hamilton ride was pretty on point. I'll have to admit. <laughs> uh, I'll have to admit. But no, I mean, I think there's all like inevitably once a week, once every other week, there's a class where I put together a playlist where I'm like, this is the best playlist ever. <laughs> and then we get in class and it's just like stone faces, which happens in speeches and facilitation all the time. You yeah. think you're going to have this, you're going to have this activity and everyone's going to go wild over it and they're <laughs> going to get it. And they're going to have these aha moments. And then you, it happens and you're like, that didn't go as planned. Yeah. <laughs> and so in those moments, one, you own it. And that's my, like, if I'm up there having a great time, fine. My goal was for you to learn X, Y, Z. They're clearly not going to get that because they're just not engaged. Therefore, we're just going to have a good old time. And if I have to pivot the direction of that, the purpose of that ride, this ride was not about you dancing and singing and having time. This ride was about you feeling a little uncomfortable with the music. Done. You know, like I, you clearly didn't resonate with the new Taylor Swift album that I thought you would. Um, (laughs) But you know what? Let's take this as a moment of like, even in a space where we don't know and we can't sing to every song, we can still take something from this moment of even when I don't connect with something, I can still grow from it. You know? Yeah. It's like the, it's like the idea. So 
I think I told you about this meditation retreat that I went on probably back in April. And one of the like quotes was like, how you do the thing is how you do, the, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So like an idea of like in soul cycle or not so like in any class where it's like how you deal with the music that makes you uncomfortable is probably how you deal with everything. So if it's like something that's not your preference, it's like you're being particular about it. And like how you react to that is probably how you react to anything that's not your preference or you're not particular about, uh, which I think is like, that's a powerful pivot to create that for people. Oh, hundred percent, which is like my, some of my approach to teaching, which is out of my class, I'll typically have 12, uh, excuse me, nine to 10 songs, mm-hmm. six to seven, you're going to know, and you're going to sing along with the rest you're going to be like, where the hell did he find this? <laughs> but that's what I want. Because that's my way to then tease that out. Because you know what? That song that you don't know, you're going to be like, dang, we climbed to that. And I didn't realize that I could turn my resistance that high. That becomes your new norm. And the next time that can be part of my six to seven songs that are mainstream, because now mm. that's your new norm. And so this is the game that we play, which is, you, you tease them with something that is uncomfortable and then it becomes, and then it goes from the uncomfortable category to wait, I know that. Mm-hmm. And then you introduce something else that's uncomfortable. And so that's, uh, I think, but that's not only in like soul cycle music, that's soul cycle in working out. Like I'm going to do this new, I'm going to fill 80% of my workout with things I know I can do. And then I'm 20% is going to be new movements that I've never tried before or at work or in speaking or in facilitating. I'm going to go with like my typical algorithm of how I facilitate X, Y, Z, but for my own personal growth, I'm going to try a little something different. That's going to push me. Mm-hmm. That may land, that may not, but it's okay because 80% of what I did landed and that gets me hired and invited <laughs> back again, right? <laughs> but it's that 20% that if something lands, go mine. Yep. That's your new norm. That's your new thing you can sell. That's the new thing that the person who came to your last speech that listened to your last podcast is now saying, oh, it's not the same thing over and over and over. And so that's that's the journey I go on with my management style, with my speaking, with my facilitation, with my approach to my clients, with my coaching is like, I'm going to go with majority what they know, but I'm not going to be afraid every now and then to toss in something new, A, personally to test it, but B, to show them that I'm not afraid to get uncomfortable. I'm not afraid to throw something new and that, you know what, you as a client should come back to me because I always got something that's going to challenge you in a different way. You're going to feel comfortable. It's going to be a small bit that I, you feel uncomfortable and then I'm going to get you comfortable again. Uh, and so that's kind of my philosophy on um, both practices in the corporate world and commercial and federal space, but also in working out. Because at the end of the day, again, it's all about us becoming confident, learning new things, stretching our boundaries. And so I think the equation is something of majority things we're comfortable with, with a little taste of something we're uncomfortable because then we begin to build our repertoire of what's comfortable. And that just expands and expands and expands. I, I love the, 
powerful word formula because it feels like like that feels a little so consultancy yeah, but like, like but like i'm gonna the, throw a framework <laughs> out here too yeah, yeah. but it's, it's like what the it's a powerful way to build in experimentation novelty and newness into your life whether it's you know how you construct your classes but also it's like you know if you're doing something that you truly care about and you're passionate about and you intentionally know that like okay like 20 percent of this class like i'm going to do something that's going to be a little bit risky a little bit experimental that's going to push people out of their comfort zone it's going to push me out of my comfort zone and that one expands your skills two expands their experience and also creates like the sense of newness that like what they're doing is really really meaningful and I, so i think like intentionally building in that sense of experimentation into the work that you do is such a powerful way to think about how you structure the things that you create for for people we, I think we as humans, our makeup is we want to grow. We want to become better. Mm-hmm. So if you can meet them where they are with what they know and then take them to a new place, just a little bit, they're going to feel like that experience with you is worthwhile and yeah. they're going to come back. Thank you for listening to this episode with Brad Golson. Be sure to find Brad on Instagram at jbgolson. And check out part two of our conversation where Brad is going to teach us about how to make a delicious fall bourbon cocktail. And we'll dive deeper into the fundamental philosophies and tactics that Brad applies as a facilitator. Shoot me some feedback. Let me know what you think about this episode or in any of the other episodes of season one. You can find me, the emails in the show notes, and, you know, shoot me a social media message or whatever. Thanks again for listening in and have a conscious day.